Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel to watch the visual version every Wednesday or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts for the audio version every Tuesday. And so for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Chad Ensel and now there is a lot to get through so we're just gonna hop right into it. On January 2nd 2020 at around 5 20 p.m. a 911 call was made to 4943rd Avenue Northeast about 15 minutes away from Bismarck North Dakota. The house was a farmhouse which was surrounded by land and cornfields and the person calling in was by the name of Nikki Ensel. She told police that she was currently at her husband's house checking up on him because she hadn't heard from him in a couple of days but then when she walked into the home she was greeted with a big gust of smoke and she couldn't see anything 4943rd avenue northeast okay and is that a house turn apart it's a house can i get your name please Nikki Ansel. I was here to check. My husband sent a text message that he didn't come in today, and I've been good three days, and so I'm coming here to check. And I'm walking, I open the oh, door, and I walk in, and the house is it's smoky. I can't get in the door. It's okay. smoky in the house. Okay, so you, you see smoke? Or I can you... see inside the. Okay. And like, I watch this in black. And I, it's smoking in there and I can't get in the door. Okay, do you see any flames at all? As you can tell from the beginning of that 911 call, Nikki seems to be very comprehensible. She can know what's going on. She knows her surroundings. But then very quickly after, she turns into a sobbing, blabbering mess. Nikki, 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 calm down for me, okay? Nikki, Nikki, Nikki. She starts to demand that firefighters and police officers come there immediately. When paramedics and firefighters showed up, they went through the house and tried to figure out the source of the fire as well as where Chad was. And the source of the fire came from the upstairs guest bedroom. And when they walked into the bedroom, that is when they found the dead body of Chad Ensel, who was lying on the ground completely naked and completely burned with a shotgun lying on the bed next to him. They determined that the cause of the fire was a propane heater that was in the guest bedroom where Chad was. The entire room was burnt down. And so the propane heater causing a fire isn't really that big of a shock. Propane heaters are very common for starting house fires. That's why you have to be very, very careful with them. But what was really odd is the fact that Chad was completely naked and there was a shotgun lying on the bed next to him. And when paramedics took a closer look at Chad, they found that Chad had actually shot himself in the face as well. Now, the propane heater actually wasn't the only cause of the fire because as the police started to go through the home, they found a bunch of cigarette buds all over the house, but not like cigarettes as if they had been smoked, as if they were just fresh 
freshly lit and then just threw on the ground. And then when they got to the basement, that is when they discovered the second cause of the fire, which was actually a fire that was starting on top of the furnace down there. Now, looking at this scene, it was very, very confusing. Maybe this was a break-in gone wrong. Maybe this was specifically targeted at Chad. Maybe this was a suicide. But right afterwards, a fire started to erupt. There was just a lot of weird inconsistencies about this scene. So in order for the police to really figure out what had happened, that is when they start looking into Chad. Chad Enzel was born and raised in North Dakota. Chad went to high school and right after high school, that's when he attended college and majored in mechanical drafting, which mechanical drafting, I didn't really know what that was, but apparently it's a major that you get if you want to be an engineer or an architect. And then after college, he ended up moving to Bismarck, North Dakota, where he got a job at a company called Interstate Power Systems as an engineer. And from all of Chad's family and friends, they all described Chad to be a very family guy. He was extremely nice and extremely kind to everyone that he met. He was the coach of a little league baseball team and spent his weekends coaching and attending games. And also he was the kind of guy that was just very, very good with kids. And on top of coaching little league, Chad also spent his free time in a bowling league and would frequently, you know, just go out with his friends and bowl and drink. And they would also have games for their leagues as well. And from all of the information that I found on Chad, Chad seemed like such a nice, cool dude. Loved to golf, he loved to watch sports, and he loved to drink his favorite beer, Bush Light. And so from that, so from that alone, you can already catch the vibe of Chad. He seems like such a simple guy, a super chill guy. And a lot of his coworkers said that as well. A lot of his coworkers said that Chad was an extremely hardworking guy. He was just so fun to be around. And according to Chad's Facebook, on April 6th of 2015, Chad had announced that he was in a relationship with a woman named Nikki. And then quite quickly after Chad and Nikki met, the following year in 2016, the couple actually got married. And not only did they get married, Chad also became a stepfather to Nikki's two children. She had two young boys, 15-year-old Marcus and Christopher, who I'm not really sure how old he was, but I know he was younger than Marcus. And these were two children that Nikki had from her previous relationship. As far as Nikki and Zell, Nikki and Zell was a 41-year-old single mom of two and worked as a transportation clerk for a food company. And from Nikki's Facebook, just by looking through it, you can tell she is a very self-obsessed woman. She tends to post a lot of selfies of herself. Like going through her profile, there was probably only two pictures of her children and the rest were just of her. And also looking through her Facebook, there was this one review that she left for a local Wendy's. And just by reading the review, I'm not gonna read all of it because it's actually extremely rude, but the last end of her review says something along the lines of like, the employees better remember who like is in charge of their paycheck, assuming that the customer is the reason how they get their paycheck. And that logic right there already tells you the type of person Nikki is. The fact that she has all these pictures of herself flooded on her Facebook. And then on top of that, she thinks she's superior to retail 
workers like that that just i don't know it rubs me the wrong way it, i don't like it but nikki was not just a transportation clerk she was also in charge of her own side business by the name of nikki's savory sweets where she tended to cater to a lot of events she was more of a baker rather than a chef and she actually flourished in this business because when you look at the types of cakes and stuff that she would make they were actually pretty good and so as you can see from the outside this family seemed like like they were doing very very well you know chad was an engineer at a really good company nikki was a transportation clerk but she also had a very successful baking business they shared a home together and two kids and it seemed like they were doing really really well so it was so confusing how chad ended up in this home not just alone because as i said nikki and chad are married and they have two kids so where are the kids in the house where's nikki in the house why aren't they together and also why was chad found with a shotgun next to him so in order to try to piece together what exactly happened the police tried to go in depth on the days leading up to chad's death hopefully that'll give them a little bit of answers on what happened so as i said on january 2nd at 5 20 p.m that is when chad was found dead so for a couple days prior to that no one nor nikki nor his co-workers had heard or seen from chad on December 31st, Chad didn't show up to work that day. Nikki actually called him into work that day saying that Chad had gotten extremely sick and he was unable to go into work. And so he just had a sick day that day. January 1st rolls around. That was New Year's Day. So everyone was off work. Chad didn't need to go into work. January 2nd rolls around and Chad again does not show up at work. All of his co-workers are calling him and texting him and they're getting no response and that's when they get extremely nervous and decide to call the police to do a wellness check on Chad. So the police actually show up to Chad's house at 1.20 p.m., but the police, I'm assuming, didn't do a good job at a welfare check because the police basically said like, oh, Chad's not home. We don't know where he's at. Like they basically just brushed it off and didn't tell anyone anything because after a few minutes of the police being there, they just left. And since since the police weren't really doing their job, that is when uh, Chad's co-workers decided to call Nikki and ask Nikki to go over there. And Nikki was like, yeah, I'll go over there. I'll check up on him. I'm just going to do it when I get out of work. And that's when Nikki showed up at 520 and called the police because she complained of all the smoke in the house. Now, the last real sighting of Chad was three days prior on December 30th. He was seen on security footage of a local bowling alley at around 10. 30 p.m. The next day on December 31st, that's when Nikki called Chad in sick. January 1st was a holiday. January 2nd, that's when he was found. So the police tried to figure out what exactly happened from the night he came home on December 30th to January 2nd. And so in order to piece together that timeline, police then look at the crime scene. When they look to the crime scene in the guest bedroom where Chad was found, they couldn't really find much evidence. The whole entire room was burnt. There was a 
burnt mattress, the burnt propane heater, but they also noted that there was a bunch of empty whiskey bottles all over the floor, as if to insinuate that maybe Chad was drinking when he did all of this. The police also asked questions to Nikki, and one of the biggest questions is why wasn't she in the house, and also where were their kids? Nikki at first tells police that she was currently staying at a motel by the name of Staybridge Suites because the furnace in the house had actually broke and she cannot stand the cold. And so the police ask her, okay, well, you know, you're not at the house because it's cold, but where are your kids? Are your kids also at the motel? And she then tells police, no, my kids are actually staying with my mom right now. And that's because Chad is a physically abusive drunk. And the police kind of are a little startled. They're like, well, what? Like, why didn't you start with that? And then that's when Nikki goes on to say that Chad was extremely physically and verbally abusive to both her and the kids. And she also had photos just completely ready to show police of like her certain bruises and cuts that she's gotten from Chad. She said that Chad used to drink a lot and typically when he would drink, he would turn very, very abusive and she just needed to get her and her kids out of the house. So that's why she was currently staying in a motel because she planned on taking her kids and running off to Texas in order to get away from Chad, to which Nikki said that she already had a job lined up in Texas. So she was planning on moving out there within the week. Now, the next day, that is when the autopsy was revealed. Most of his body was burnt. And as I said earlier, Chad had actually shot himself in the face with the shotgun. So most of his face was also caved in. But on his back, it was not burnt that much because when he was found, he was actually laying on his back. And the medical examiners noticed that on Chad's back, there was actually bullet wounds on his back. And that wouldn't make sense because Chad had a shotgun. So how could he shoot a shotgun in his own back? There has to be another person involved. So the police moved this case from being a suicide to now a homicide. And ironically, two days after Chad's death, that is when Nikki would call the home insurance company and try to get money from the damages that was done to their home. Now, mind you, the house that Nikki and Chad got, they had just got the house on December 26th. Not even a week, it was burnt to the ground. And so now that the police see this, things are adding up. They're like, okay, they just bought this house insurance on December 26th and then week later, it's burnt to the ground with Chad inside. And we already know Nikki doesn't really like Chad. Now all these things are adding up and they're looking really, really suspiciously at Nikki. In the home, when the police were investigating, there was this package that was found in the kitchen and it was a package addressed to a man by the name of Earl Howard. It seemed just like a regular Amazon package. So it was kind of odd how Earl Howard would have a package delivered to Nikki and Chad's house. So they start doing a little bit of digging on who Earl Howard was. But remember earlier when I was saying that Nikki was actually staying at a local motel by the name of Staybridge Suites, when the police were looking at Nikki's room, they found that Nikki's room was under the name of Earl Howard. Now, as far as Earl Howard, there really wasn't much to his life. He seemed just like a regular guy. He would work all day and stay home all night. 
He was originally from Bellwood, Ontario, but later moved to Bismarck, North Dakota after a really big job offer in his early 20s. On January 7th of 2020, five days after Chad was found dead, police bring Nikki into the police station for questioning. When the police start asking Nikki questions about Earl Howard, Nikki is surprisingly very, very open to police about her and Earl's relationship. Just says, yeah, I've been having an affair for the past year and it's been with this guy Earl. Don't worry, Chad knew about it, but it was just kind of something that he accepted and I continued doing. She said that she met Earl when she was in a very, very vulnerable place in her and Chad's relationship. Chad had been starting to drink a lot more and became a lot more physically and verbally abusive to her. And throughout this interrogation, it's so off-putting to watch because Nikki, she is a full like 46-year-old woman, right? But for some reason, it looks as if she puts on this very shy girl act, I guess. She's talking in a very high-pitched voice that she doesn't usually talk in because there's points of the interview where like she talks to a different person and it sounds like her normal voice. She also is constantly looking down at the ground the entire time and as she's talking, she talks very low, sometimes barely audible, where the interrogators have to ask her to speak up. She's playing with her fingers a lot. She's twiddling her toes. And there's points where she breaks down crying. And when she does, she tries to speak as she's crying, but it's just more of inaudible babbles, which is very theatric in my opinion, because usually in that situation, when you see real victims and they start crying, they start start saying things like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cry, or they let themselves cry for a minute, or they try to stop themselves from crying so that they can continue the story. But as for Nikki, she just kind of lets it all go and tries to cry as much as possible. And I'm assuming by putting on this act, it's a way for her to try to gain more sympathy from the interrogator. The interrogators at this point are sort of playing good cop, bad cop. And right now in the room with Nikki is the good cop. So that's why Nikki tends to be a lot more vulnerable. But then at this point in the interview, the bad cop walks in the room and Nikki sort of does a whole 180. She completely straightens up her act. She doesn't cry anymore. She is now like talking comprehensible. And since this bad cop is really laying more and more pressure onto Nikki to just tell the truth, like the interrogator straight up tells Nikki, stop lying. I know you're lying. Just tell the truth. And at that point, Nikki does indeed start to tell the truth to what actually happened the night of December 30th after Chad was seen on security cameras leaving the bowling alley and going home. She said that that night her and Earl had shared a motel together and Nikki actually planned on going over to Chad and her's home to gather the rest of Nikki's things because she was currently in the process of moving out. As I said earlier, she had plans of going to Texas. But when Nikki showed up, she said that Chad was extremely drunk and kept on verbally and physically abusing her, and so she just left. At some points in the interview, Nikki then goes on very odd and random side tangents as if to distract herself from the story or distract herself from talking about the night in general, because at this point, she goes into a random rant about how Chad is also super into gambling, and he has a gambling 
gambling problem and he had spent all of their money at the casino. This bad cop is really laying in the pressure. He's turning up the heat. He's telling Nikki, just tell us the truth. Like, what is the point of lying? You have nothing to lose at this point because we're not letting you go unless you're proven innocent. It'll just be so much easier if you tell us the truth. Her story this time around, she says that her and Earl did get a motel that night and she did indeed go to Chad's house that night to pick up her things, but she went there with Earl. And when her and Earl showed up, Chad was a drunk mess and he was yelling things at Nikki, saying extremely terrible things to her. And so Nikki just gathered all of her stuff. She went outside and all of a sudden from inside, whom Earl and Chad were both in, Nikki heard a gunshot go off. Then out of the house came Earl. So technically she doesn't really know what happened because she was outside of the house when she heard the gunshot. And so this news story is honestly even more confusing than the last story because police were telling her, what do you mean you heard a gunshot? Like, aren't you gonna go in there and try to figure out what happened? And if Earl walks out, aren't you gonna ask him what happened or like where that gunshot came from? As I said, Chad's house was literally in the middle of nowhere. Like there was surrounded by cornfields. So if there was a gunshot, you heard that from Miles. So why didn't Nikki say anything to Earl or ask him what happened. So at this point, that is when the interrogators offer Nikki a chance to write down her written confession in order to get a clear timeline of everything that happened and also refrain her from going on any more side tangents. Nikki sits down, she writes about a page and a half of a confession as to what happened that night. So she's sitting at the interrogation table. She hands over her written confession and one of the interrogators puts it on top of like a pile of papers and as she's sitting there she says out loud quote I'm not doing this it's stupid and grabs her confession that she just wrote and attempts at ripping it up and I'm assuming she does that because she's like starting to recognize all of the plot holes that are in her written confession or she might completely forget what she wrote down and the police could use that against her. So she tries to grab for it and rip it up but thank god the interrogator was too quick and grabbed it out of her hands before she was able to do anything but there was no way that Nikki was walking out of this police station without cuffs on because while Nikki is in the police station that's when police find that Chad actually had a security camera right out outside of his home as well as all over inside of the home. Outside of the home when examining the footage, what they find is Earl and Nikki showing up at Chad's home around 10 p.m. 30 minutes before Chad is seen leaving the bowling alley. Go inside for about 20 minutes and walk out with a bunch of boxes. Now, as I said, Chad didn't leave the bowling alley that night until around 10.30. So at this point, when Nikki and Earl showed up, Chad wasn't even home. Now, it's assumed that Nikki didn't go to Chad's house to pick up the rest of her things. Nikki probably went over to the house to pick up the things that she knew she didn't want burned to the ground. And so the police 
police now know that this arson was premeditated and not accidental. The security footage then showed at 10.30 p.m. that is when Chad had come home from his bowling game and then at 1 a.m. Nikki and Earl were both seen back at the home. They were seen walking inside of the home and then coming out two hours later at 3 a.m. And when looking at the security footage, the police found that the only security footage during this time frame that was available was the ones outside that was facing towards the driveway. All of the inside security systems from logs were actually turned off by Nikki at exactly 12.36 a.m. on December 31st, the same night that Chad had come home from his bowling game and the same night that Nikki and Earl were seen taking a bunch of Nikki's stuff out of the house. So police literally had logs of Nikki herself turning off all of the security systems and disabling all of the security systems before walking in there at 1 a.m. I'm assuming Nikki forgot to turn off the one in the driveway and only turned off the ones that were inside. And as I said earlier, when police were looking at the crime scene, they found cigarettes all over the house, but it didn't seem like cigarettes that had been smoked. It was more cigarettes that were lit and thrown. And when police took these cigarettes and compared them to Earl cigarettes, Earl actually smoked the same exact type of cigarettes that were found littered all over the house. This would actually link Earl to the time of the crime. Police also found that Nikki was the sole beneficiary of $26,000 of home insurance that, as I said earlier, Nikki tried to call and claim. And on top of that, he also had a life insurance policy of around $600,000 which back in 2018, Nikki became the sole beneficiary of. After all of this was looked into, after the security footage was examined, after all of these insurance policies came to light, Nikki was arrested on January 7th, shortly after the interrogation for a conspiracy to commit murder. When she was arrested, she was then set on a $500,000 bond. Now police have Nikki arrested, so now they are trying to look for Earl, but when they go to Earl's home, they find that Earl is nowhere to be found and Earl is actually on the run right now. The police ended up not even finding Earl until January 9th, 2020, two days after Nikki was arrested. Earl was found and arrested in the Port Huron, Michigan, which ironically is actually on the border of Michigan and Canada. So it seemed like Earl planned on going back home to Ontario, Canada and basically running away from his crimes and letting Nikki take all of the blame for it. Earl was then arrested and taken to the station, and now that they had both Earl and Nikki, they were able to gather a somewhat story of what happened and why they did what they did. What they gathered is at some point during Nikki and Earl's affair, which was a fact, they had been having an affair for about a year, which Chad was not aware of, but Nikki had told Earl at some point 
that her husband, Chad, had a $600,000 life insurance policy. So that is when they decided to come up with the plan in order to kill Chad, make it look like a suicide, collect all of the life insurance money, and run off to Texas together and be together forever. So then on the night of December 30th, that is the day that they chose that they were going to do this. Nikki wanted to make sure that her kids were out of the house for when the house burnt down, so she just sent her kids to go with her mom for the weekend, while Earl and Nikki stayed in a motel. Nikki knew that that night Chad had a bowling game, so that is when she showed up at the house at around 10 p.m. and decided to gather all of the things that she didn't want burned in the fire and bring it back to the motel, which security cameras showed at the motel that they did bring all of those boxes into the room with them. At 1 a.m. that night, that is when Earl and Nikki had returned to Chad's home. That is when Nikki had disabled all of the alarms in the home and broke in. When they broke in, Earl had actually brought his shotgun with, and for some reason, Chad wasn't sleeping in his room. He was actually sleeping in the guest room that night. So they went into the guest room, and that is when either Earl or Nikki, even to this day, it's unclear who shot him, but one of them had basically shot Chad. And since the lights were off and it was dark in there, they couldn't really see Chad, only his silhouette. And so when they turned on the lights, that's when they realized that they actually had shot Chad in the back because he was laying on his stomach when he slept. And so that's when they turned Chad over and shot him in the face to make it look like a suicide, which is kind of odd because wouldn't the medical examiner see this bullet wound on his back? But I'm assuming they thought that the house was going to burst into flames anyway, so it didn't really matter. And so that is when they brought all of the whiskey bottles that they had brought, emptied all of the whiskey bottles and planted them all over the room to kind of insinuate that Chad had gotten drunk. They then took the propane heater and set it up right next to the bed in hopes of the sheets catching on fire. They lay Chad on the floor and threw the gun on the bed and left. They left thinking that the propane heater would basically just make the whole house burst into flames and all of the evidence would be destroyed, all of their fingerprints would be destroyed, and the next day, Nikki and Earl were expecting to see something on the news about it. They didn't hear anything. No calls were made to Nikki, like no neighbors, no concerned family members, nothing on the news, and they started to grow extremely concerned as to why that was happening. So they go back to the house the next day and they find that it hadn't caught fire at all. The sheets were extremely burnt, but that was it. No fire had been caused. And so when they go upstairs, they attempt at moving the mattress a little bit more, moving the heater in a position where it would catch fire. And then on top of that, Earl went downstairs to the basement and started a fire right above the furnace. Also to help with the ignition of the fire, Earl decided to light up some cigarettes and then just throw them all over the house to help. But what Earl and Nikki didn't know is that lighting a house on fire is not like how it is in the movies. It's not as like easy as it is in the movies. There's a lot of safety precautions that are put into houses now to ensure that it's not extremely flammable. And so then a whole two days go by on January 2nd, did not see anything on the news. They didn't receive any calls from anyone. So they were very scared that possibly nothing had happened once again, but they were also very nervous to return 
return to the home in case something did happen. So then on January 2nd, that is when Chad didn't show up for work that day. So then the police had showed up to the home, but from the outside, the house looked completely fine. And so that's when Chad's coworkers had contacted Nikki and Nikki also said that from the outside, it looked completely fine. But when Nikki opened up the front door, that is when she was greeted with a gust of black smoke. And I'm assuming the reason why Nikki on the police phone call started freaking out towards the end of the call was because she kind of realized that her plan didn't work. The house didn't burst into flames. The house didn't burn to the ground, meaning all of their fingerprints and all the evidence is still in the home. And that's exactly what happened. Since the house didn't burn down when police sweeped the home, they easily found all of Nikki and Earl's fingerprints as well as both of their DNA. They also found, which was a very like interesting fact to me, that the shotgun laying down on the bed, when police had lifted up the shotgun that was found on the bed, there was a perfect white imprint of it laying on the bed, meaning that Chad must have been shot before the fire had occurred. So that also tells police that Chad couldn't have done this to himself because how could he shoot himself and then lay the gun on the bed? Wouldn't it have dropped onto the floor? So once all of this DNA and fingerprints were found all over the house, that is when both Nikki and Earl both being charged with the murder of Chad as well as a number of other charges. At first, Nikki and Earl were going to have a joint trial, but at the last second, Earl had accepted a plea deal and decided to plea guilty to the conspiracy to commit arson arson, conspiracy to tamper with physical evidence, and conspiracy to commit murder and was only sentenced to 25 years. And if you're wondering why he was charged with conspiracy to commit murder instead of actual murder, and that was because Earl and Nikki were just pointing the finger at each other. Nikki said Earl had the gun and Earl said Nikki had the gun. And since they didn't really know who committed the murder, it was just more of conspiracy to commit. As for Nikki's trial, however, she she actually pled not guilty and blamed Earl the entire time. She blamed the entire thing on Earl. She said that it was Earl's idea. She said that she was outside of the house when she heard a gunshot and Earl was the one that shot Chad. Earl was the one who set up all of the fires and all of his cigarettes were found around the house. And it was also said that Earl was supposed to come up as a witness for Nikki's trial, but never showed up. And Nikki's defense team said that this was very odd because because why would Earl reject coming up as a witness for Nikki? Maybe it was because Earl was scared of saying something that would further incriminate himself, which literally makes no sense because he pled guilty and is currently in prison for his crimes. But no matter how much Nikki tried to defend herself, all of her secrets would later come out in the trial. Turns out Chad was not aware of the affair between Nikki and Earl. That had been going on for an entire year and it completely swept under Chad's radar. He had no clue about the affair. He had never met Earl, had no clue about Earl, which is very contradictory because during um, Nikki's interrogation, she was going on and on to the interrogators about how Earl and Chad were friends, how Earl has come over to the house multiple times, how like he knew about the affair going on. But this was just a straight up lie because the text messages between Nikki and 
and Chad would reveal that weekend when Nikki was at the motel for Earl, Nikki didn't tell Chad that she was at a motel with Earl. She actually told Chad that she was going to be out of town for a catering thing. And so that is when on March 16th of this year, 2023, that is when Nikki was found guilty to conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit arson, arson and tampering with physical evidence and she was given life in prison without possibility of parole. As far as the aftermath of everything um, for Nikki's two sons, Marcus and Christopher, from what I can find, Marcus, who was the 15-year-old, he actually grew up to be very successful after this. He graduated high school and then after high school, he attended college on a full-ride scholarship. And as for Christopher, Christopher, as I said, he was a minor during all of this, so not much is said about him, but it is suspected that he is currently just still in school and being looked after by Nikki's mother. Yeah, that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts. Make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. I would love to hear what you guys think about this case in the comments below. One big controversial point about this case is the difference in sentencing. Earl accepted a plea deal and only got 25 years, meaning that he would be able to be released sometime in 2026 because all of this happened back in 2020. While Nikki actually got life in prison without possibility of parole. And a lot of people tend to argue that why didn't Earl get life in prison without possibility of parole? He was just as involved as Nikki was. And I kind of feel the same way. I feel like Earl should not have gotten just 25 years. The idea of Earl being out and about is actually terrifying and should not be a thing. But let me know in the comments below what you guys think. Do you believe Earl should have gotten a life sentence just like Nikki? Or do you think Nikki was the catalyst, the mastermind of everything? And Earl was just her sidekick. Do you believe that Earl deserves a life sentence just like Nikki or do you think it's reversed? Do you think Nikki should only get 25 years and Earl should get the life sentence? And there were also a lot of other unanswered questions about this case as to why Chad was naked and on the floor. If he was shot in his sleep, wouldn't he have his pajamas on and sleeping underneath the covers? And also the package that was found at Nikki and Chad's house that was addressed to Earl Howard why would Earl have packages going to Nikki and Chad's home if Chad never knew who Earl was? There's so, so many unanswered questions about this case and I would love to hear all of your guys' thoughts and opinions about it in the comments below. Yeah, that is all from me. Again, I hope you guys enjoyed today's video. Make sure to be safe out there. Go outside today. I me today. It's super rainy and gloomy, but that's okay. I'm still gonna go outside and enjoy as much of nature as I can and I hope you do too as well and yeah that's all from me and as always I love you I love you I love you and I will see you guys next week bye